All across the Midlands, midday takes to the airwaves on the Rural Radio Network. How you doing today? Hope you're digging out okay. Looks like we'll have a little bit of a chance for a slight thaw before we get back into some cooler weather moving across the region. So it comes, it goes. This is what we do here in the middle of America. It's Susan Littlefield who starts things off here. And uh, on deck, of course, Jason Jorgensen. And in the hole is uh, Bob Brogan with some business news. We'll try to strike a home run. So you're the lead off. All right. Sounds good. Of course, National Pork Producers Council continues to talk trade with Mexico. We're going to find out more details about that at 1219. The question is, who does own the water in Nebraska? Is it the landowner or is it the state of Nebraska? Well. We'll find out more at 1245. Is there an answer or is there a debate? There's a debate. And then, of course, you'll find out more in all this in discussion with the irrigation tax, which, by the way, has actually growing beyond what we thought uh social media is doing a big push nationwide to flood a certain state senator's inbox with emails in regards to his thoughts on irrigation taxes and then at 117 the national cattlemen's beef association's executive director of meat science will talk about the new beef cuts what's hot for 2018 Ooh, i can't wait for that it'll one. be a grilling thing <laughs> i will believe it will be grilling and thrilling and speaking of thrilling let's go to sports with jason jorgensen the nebraska man for a large chunk of last night's game, looked like they might potentially beat 13th-ranked Ohio State on the road. But that last little bit to get over the hill for them of winning big games on the road continues to be a stumbling block. That's where big games are won. Yep, like the last uh, three minutes as the Huskers came up short last night, that certainly would have been another signature victory. We'll get the thoughts of head coach Tim Miles about that close call for the Huskers. Big Big 12 game tonight is KU, who's now back up to fifth in the rankings. They will take on 12th-ranked Oklahoma. I'll tell you more about that. There's also been a notable coaching change in the NBA. We'll talk about uh, that coming up in sports. And also, one of the big guns at the Australian Open is out. Rafael Nadal basically had to retire in the fifth set of his quarterfinal match because of an upper right leg injuries. So uh, he was playing. He was struggling. Decided to call it quits, and his tournament is done. Yep. So you have to think with him being out again, that kind of opens things up for old man Roger Federer maybe to sneak in there and <laughs> steal another one. How old is Federer? Well, he's is on the right? wrong side of 35 uh-huh. for tennis, but I think 36, 37, somewhere in there. Yeah, and He's that's, not a young pup anymore. That's a pretty grueling play, too. It is, especially, and that's, that's ancient in tennis. Yeah, absolutely. All right, thanks. We'll listen for it. Now Bob Brogan does have some business news. U.S. stocks mostly on the rise in midday trading as uh, gains in technology companies and retailers are partly offset by losses in consumer goods markets. Also, um, we're watching some other things today. J.P. Morgan is boosting wages, opening some new branches and hiring new workers. But at the same time, Kimberly Clark is cutting thousands of jobs uh, of its workforce as the uh, consumer products company is uh, just struggling just a little bit. Mm -hmm. And also, uh, the uh, Nebraska jobless rate remains steady, which is uh, most of the time you think of steady not being much of anything, but actually the fact that it's staying steady is good, apparently. 
Thanks, Bob. Nebraska Cattlemen's Classic reminds you that their meeting in Albion that had been scheduled for tonight has been canceled. Again, the Nebraska Cattlemen's Classic meeting in Albion tonight has been canceled. Moving ahead into the ag weather, and uh, Paul Perkins joins us, brought to you by Coolman Repair. Well, that thing moved on through, and a lot of people got a lot more snow than, than some of the haves and haves nots, didn't we? Yes, some hefty snowfall totals, especially, uh, this is what we've seen so far as far as the large snowfall amounts. 10 to 15 inches of snow, basically very common from northwest Kansas into southwest Nebraska, on up to about North Platte and Broken Bow. Just north of Grand Island, around St. Paul, Greenlee, and Belgrade, their snow totals were up around 12 to 14 inches. 16 to 18 inches fell from about near Norfolk to the northeast corner of Nebraska up near Ponca. So some sizable amounts of snow with this system. We do have some mostly cloudy skies right now pretty much all across Nebraska. And the northern third of Kansas to the north of I-70 looks like some major breaks in the clouds from Salina up to Concordia. Right now a little bit of light snow continuing to track east through East uh, West Central Nebraska currently from about Rose in North Central Nebraska to just west of Broken Boat to just north of Lexington. You may be encountering a few snowflakes uh, with that system. Temperatures right now pretty much in the mid to upper 20s, but where it's into the southern portions of Kansas south of I-70, they have temperatures right now in the low 40s. A moisture-starved trough of low pressure moving through. That is tracking to the east, increasing our cloud cover and kicking up a few flurries. The northwest flow of high pressure to our west will warm our temperatures up slightly for today. High pressure overhead for tonight. Skies will be clear. A warming trend underway for tomorrow and Thursday with the ridge of high pressure moving overhead. Lots of snow going to be melting over the next few days. There's going to be a big difference, though, in temperatures between the areas with larger amounts of snow and those with little or to no snow and the lesser amounts of snow to the south of I-80. A cold front will track southeast through the region for Friday for a bit of a cool down, but not a major cool down. Any precipitation with that system expected to focus well to our east. Saturday and Sunday, notably cooler, but still high is expected to be in the 30s. Warmer weather is back for Monday and Tuesday, just ahead of another system that rises towards the middle of next week. In our long-term forecast, Nebraska and northern Kansas temperatures are forecast to be seasonal to warmer than normal. Sunday through those first five days of February, the southern two-thirds of Kansas will be warmer than normal much of the time, especially early on next week. During late January and early February, central Nebraska daytime highs usually average in the upper 30s with overnight lows mostly in the mid-teens. Our precipitation forecast in Nebraska and Kansas starting out drier than normal early next week, but late next week through February 5th, a likelihood of above-normal precipitation in Nebraska, Kansas, and the eastern two-thirds of the U.S. Weather factors in the markets include continuing dryness in Argentina, favorable conditions in Brazil, and a dry pattern in the southern plains. That winter storm that plagued us yesterday is now across the nation's midsection. will continue to move northeast towards the Great Lakes. Lingering impacts may include travel disruptions, cool and windy weather, and blowing snow. Later in the week, mild dry weather will dominate the plains and southwest. Above normal temperatures expected to prevail nearly nationwide the next several days, particularly across the plains and Midwest. No significant cold weather expected in the northern plains and Midwest in the next 7 to 10 days, but 8 to 15 days out bears some watching for much colder weather in the U.S. and Canada. The southern plains wheat areas remain dry, but 
with no damaging cold weather expected in the next seven days. A situation that bears watching is in Argentina, where limited rain and seasonal to warmer than normal temperatures are increasing corn and soybean stress just as corn begins to pollinate. That next chance of beneficial rain is Saturday in Argentina, and that looks like an uncertain chance. Crop weather, though, in Brazil, favorable. In southern Brazil, it's favorable for the developing soybeans. Drier weather in central Brazil, helping out for the timing of maturing soybeans and early harvest. Increasing amounts of rain are expected Friday through Monday for any soybeans that continue to fill out in central Brazil. The Ag Weather with Paul brought to you by Coolman Repair. And you're saying there could be a pretty big difference between those who have that thick snow cover and uh, those who don't. Yeah, especially uh, western areas of Nebraska and Kansas, north of I-80 in the central and eastern areas. Uh, that big gap in temperatures, but farther southeast you go, a little less in the way of snow cover. All right. And I heard you talk about that 14 days out, much colder. I don't want anything more said about that, okay? <laughs> we'll, we'll, try and, we'll try and offset any bitterness <laughs> with it. <laughs> How's that? <laughs> Thanks very much. Okay, folks, there you go. When you need weather anytime, krvn.com. hit Nebraska and Kansas yesterday may cause slowed grain shipments further east today. Japan is increasing their consumption of protein in 2018, and we hear from the new executive director of the Nebraska State Fair. That's all ahead on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Clay Patton. Yesterday's snowstorm was feast or famine across much of Nebraska and parts of northern Kansas. For a look at the snowfall across the state, check out the Rural Radio Network's video on the snowfall on Twitter and Facebook. As the storm moves further east today, it could add more ice and slow major river shipping terminals. Prior to the storm, ice was already creating havoc on the Mississippi, Illinois, and Ohio rivers. Many river delivery points have now been forced to expand the basis on cash prices, and some northern river points have completely shut down for the winter. Farmers delivering to a grain facility in Naples, Illinois, will receive 13 cents less per bushel on soybeans, according to Mike Stinnick of the Soy Transportation Coalition, while others are forced to hold on to their crops until the rivers thaw. The USDA says that the grain barge tonnage on those rivers in the first two weeks of January fell 63% from the previous year. In livestock news, the University of Illinois is reporting that for 10 consecutive years, Japan has increased its meat consumption. In 2017, Japan's meat consumption is expected to increase by 3.4% to reach the highest level of growth in the past five years. Beef consumption in particular is expected to grow nearly 4% from year to year. This is after two straight years of decline. Japan is already one of the world's leading countries when it comes to beef consumption, both in terms of total tonnage and per capita consumption. Japan has also consistently been one of the top beef buyers in the world with 851,000 metric tons of beef imported in 2017. This makes it the third largest import country in the world. Japan has long been a top consumer of U.S. goods. In 2016, Japan is the fourth largest importing country for both U.S. agriculture and total goods. Total agricultural exports in Japan in 2016 totaled $11 billion, roughly 8.5% overall of total U.S. ag exports, which $1.5 billion was beef. Since 2010, Japan has been the United States' number one export market for beef. As we take it back to more statewide news, the Nebraska State Fair has named a new executive director. Shaley Peters has more. Lori Cox has been officially named to the position as of late Friday. She says the agricultural history of the state is what drew her here. I, I just cannot tell you what it's like to be able to walk into a room full of people, and I'm speaking about the board because they're the ones I know first and foremost now, 
and and have that um, close knit feeling of Aggies in the in the same room. Cox says she's looking forward to jumping right in with the staff. Well, the first thing that's really important to me is being able to uh, really develop that team dynamic with my staff and making sure that uh, I'm really listening to where they're at already in the programming, uh, certainly on the event and competitive side of the fair and what the, where the holes are. I'm a big uh, believer in discovering holes and filling those holes. So that's what we'll be concentrating on first. I don't have any expectations that there's a whole thing, a lot of things that are going to need to be changed right away because, quite frankly, uh, this is Nebraska's fair, and I'm going to do a lot of listening. Cox comes from the Big Sky Country State Fair in Montana, and for more on this, you can visit RuralRadio.com. I'm Shaylee Peters on the Rural Radio Network. Thanks, Shaylee. Enjoy the sun out there today and those warmer temperatures as the melting process begins. If you want more ag news and information, make sure to check out RuralRadio.com as well as follow Rural Radio Network on Facebook and Twitter. I'm Clay Patton. Keep a straight row. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. USDA announcing earlier this week that now all of Mexico and all Mexican states can now import pork to the U.S., and it's a move supported by the National Pork Producers Council. To find out more about this news, as well as what it means for U.S. pork producers, we go to the National Pork Producers Council here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Clay Patton. Joining me from the National Pork Producers Council is Press Officer Jim Monroe. Does this expansion of trade with Mexico, does that look to affect the domestic market for U.S. pork producers any? You know, it's, I think it's a little early make that call. Ultimately, the market dynamics and, you know, the natural forces of the market will determine how, how that plays out. So I'm not sure I could uh, speculate at this point on what kind of impact it will have. You know, I will say that the tastes of varying tastes of American consumers versus Mexican consumers are somewhat complementary. Um, that's one of the great things about trade. Uh, there is different demand and different parts of the world for different cuts of the pig. In Mexico, for example, there's a there's a lot of demand for hams. In the U.S., there's a lot of demand for, you know, ribs are very popular, barbecue is very possible, p- popular, uh, the loin. It, you know, there, there are different opportunities for different uh, segments of the, of the industry around the world. Um, like I said earlier, we are the lowest cost producer of pork in the world. We have the highest quality, the safest product. We're ready to compete anywhere um, and and with with any other any other producers in the world. Now let's turn it to uh, the positives for the U.S. Last year we exported 1.4 billion dollars worth of pork to Mexico. What? How does that trickle down to the producer? What are returns the U.S. pork producer sees from those type of exports? Exports are critical to the U.S. pork industry. Uh, a little more than 25% of U.S. pork production is exported globally. Um, Mexico is particularly important. As I said earlier, it's the number one export market by volume. Uh, as I'm sure you know, there's a lot of discussion around the future of NAFTA. Uh, it's probably our number, the number one issue that we're managing on behalf of U.S. pork producers in Washington right now. Basically, that, that, that export figure represents one in every four pigs is exported. Uh, so that's obviously uh, a, a major part of the value of, of hogs and plays a 
key role, critical role, really, in the profitability of of U.S. pork producers. It's also very important for the U.S. economy. Um, you know, in the in the pork industry alone, we generate over 110,000 jobs just from exports. Uh, so, if a if a if a market like Mexico was lost to us, it would have a devastating impact on our industry, and I believe on the rest of the economy. Uh, so, um, again, I think it all gets back to free trade. Um, we, we, you know, our industry is is the best in the world. We have a great product, and it and it it does great things for the U.S. economy when we're able to compete on a level playing field in markets around the world. All right, that's Jim Monroe, press officer for the National Pork Producers Council, joining us today, talking about trade and the recent developments with Mexico. Now, all of Mexico, all Mexican states, can import pork to the U.S. as it has been declared free of any classical swine fever. So that's great to see and glad to see we can reciprocate trade with some of our largest trade partners in the U.S. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. You're listening to Midday on the Rural Radio Network, and it's time to check sports with Jason Jorgensen. Hey, thanks, Derek. Well, despite a career-high 34 points from James Palmer Jr., 13th-ranked Ohio State edge Nebraska last night, 64-59 at Value City Arena. Now, the Huskers were right in that game deep into the second half before the Buckeyes went on a big run to pull it out. Head coach Tim Miles says the performance of his team was good, but just not good enough. This is a really good Ohio State team, and to be able to beat them on the road, you gotta just keep making plays. You know, the first half we had a stretch of seven possessions where we turn it over four times and we miss a layup. We come out the second half, we're down one, three twenty-nine left, miss a front end, turn it over, score, and then turn it over. And that's just enough to lose. I mean, that's your margin of error. And you is now 14-8 and overall, 5-4 and in conference play. Ohio State is 9-0 and in conference action and 18-4 and overall. Now the Huskers continue their two-game road trip tomorrow night as they'll battle Rutgers. Longtime Carney High Boys track and field coach Roger Matheson resigned yesterday after 38 seasons and 16 Class A state titles. Starting in 1980, he built the Bearcats into a dynasty. Besides the state titles, which included a state record 11 in a row, the Bearcats also set a national record with 123 consecutive invitational championships in the regular season. Their state records also include ongoing streaks of 29 conference titles and 26 district titles. Jason Kidd helped make the Bucks relevant. Someone else will have to make them champions. Milwaukee fired its coach this week following a midseason slide that left the playoff hopefuls in eighth place in the Eastern Conference. It was a surprising end for Kidd after three plus seasons. His Bucks made two playoff appearances while developing an impressive young core. Rafael Nadal is out of the Australian Open after retiring in the fifth set of his quarterfinal match with Marin Cilic with an upper right leg entry. Cilic had won the first two games of the final set when Nadal, who had taken a medical timeout in the fourth set to have his right leg and thigh massaged, called it quits after shaking the hand of the umpire. Danica Patrick is teaming up with Premium Motorsports for next month's Daytona 500, the final race of her NASCAR career. 
The one-race deal will put Patrick in the seat of the number 7 GoDaddy Chevrolet. That's the same number she drove when she entered stock car racing in 2010. And Oklahoma quarterback Baker Mayfield, Louisville signal caller Lamar Jackson, and running back Bryce Lev of Stanford are the finalists for the Lombardi Award, which will be presented this weekend. All three were finalists for the Heisman Trophy, which was won by Mayfield. The award is given to the nation's top player based on performance as well as leadership, character, and resiliency. That's a look at sports. Have a great day. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Stay tuned. More Midday is just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network. Clear skies in Nebraska tonight. Lows generally in the teens. I'm Dave Schroeder. A railway car plant in Lincoln is poised to secure a large portion of a $3.6 billion contract to produce New York City subway cars. New York's Metropolitan Transportation Authority is expected to vote Wednesday on Kawasaki Motors Manufacturing's contract to build more than 1,600 new subway cars. The contract is made up of a $1.4 billion base order of 535 subway cars for delivery by July 2020. There are options to add more than 1,000 cars, bringing the total project cost to more than $3.6 billion. The cars would have features for safety and modernization. Kawasaki spokesman Jason Helbush says most of the manufacturing would be completed at the Lincoln plant. He says a facility in Yonkers, New York, would work on final assembly and testing. A missing 87-year-old man from Rosalie in northeast Nebraska's Thurston County has been found safe. Kenneth Brummond had been found prior to a news conference announcement by Governor Pete Ricketts this morning. Brumman had been missing since Monday afternoon. Last night, the Emergency Management Agency system deployed its first alert and supported efforts to find Brumman. Nebraska Governor Pete Ricketts was asked whether there's concern that a new alert system will be sending out too many alerts. The way the system is um, set up is that you have to proactively go out and sign up for the alerts. So it's not just going to be broadcast everybody's phone. So you actually have to go out and sign up to be able to get the alerts. And the alerts will be regional. So again, we're, if you're in the uh, panhandle and you've got somebody who's missing, um, you're probably not going to hear about that on your alert if you're in Omaha, for example. So uh, again, we're try- again to, to Jim's point, we want to make sure that we're really keeping this as something that when the public does get this, that they're paying attention and they're staying alert for you know, looking for the person and not getting saturated with the bombard with the messages. The father of one of five people allegedly killed by a Mexican national who was in the country illegally is suing federal immigration authorities. The lawsuit filed in Kansas City, Kansas, claims immigration and customs enforcement agents had two chances to detain and deport 42-year-old Pablo Serrano Viterino before four people were killed in Kansas and one in Missouri in March 2016. Republican leaders in the Kansas House say they're taking steps to make sure the public has more information about who's behind legislation. House Speaker Ron Reichman of Olathe said he's directed committees to see that the written records of their meetings list which lawmakers request bills on whose behalf they're asking for them. Democrats plan to outline their own transparency proposals as well. Your phone is just one click away from closings and cancellations when you use our app. From the KRVN News Center, I'm Dave Schroeder. Last week, Senator Schumacher introduced LB 1022, which would impose a tax on irrigation well water. Although many lobbyists and farm organizations caution that the bill won't be passed, some farmers and ranchers wondered 
how the legislature could impose a tax on the water below their property. Good afternoon to you on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Bryce Duskit reporting. Who owns the water below your farm? The answer? Well, it's quite complicated. I asked this exact question to Anthony Schultz, Associate Professor of Law at the Nebraska College of Law. Well, the, the simple answer is that nobody does, really. Um, water has roundly been regarded by the Nebraska Supreme Court and, and reflected in our laws as being something that's a sort of a, if anybody owns it, we say the public owns it, which is really to say that you know nobody owns it, or it's to say that the the government, state government, or maybe NRDs acting with power from the states have a lot of authority with regard to it. But there's no sort of individual ownership right of the water that's beneath one's property. But that's not to say that a landowner doesn't own something that's related to that water. Specifically, is an incident of land ownership, that is one of the things that you get when you buy real estate in Nebraska, is the ability, at least historically speaking, to withdraw water from beneath your property and put it to a reasonable use on the overlying land, subject to the rights of others. And that rights of others notion is basically the idea that if we don't have enough groundwater for everyone to use, then everybody has to sort of cut back their use in proportion to you know, their acreage or in proportion to the relative importance of their use or something along those lines. But generally speaking, land ownership in Nebraska at least historically speaking, has always involved this incidental right to withdraw any water that you can find beneath your property. But we don't call that an ownership of the water beneath your property. We call it simply the ability to withdraw that water that is, you know, as far as the molecules are concerned, are sort of owned by the state, I guess, if you want to think of it that way. The difficulty, and I think one of the things that a lot of people don't quite understand is, you know, post the adoption of the Groundwater Management and Control Act, um, which is what allows NRDs to impose um, first moratoriums and then outright prohibitions on the ability to pump water. Um, there is a lot of land in Nebraska that currently does not carry with it any right to withdraw water from beneath it. Um, in those NRDs that have uh, restrictions on new wells, for example, um, that have restrictions that certified irrigated acres and all of those sorts of things. If you go buy land that wasn't historically irrigated and you try to put it in a well, you won't be able to do it, right? You have to get um, a permit in order to do that and all of those sorts of things. So that's why I say, I always try to remind people that historically speaking, we had this right that just sort of came with land ownership. For the past decade or so, that hasn't been the case. Um, if you buy irrigated land, of course, with certified irrigated acres associated with it in NRDs that have certification processes and all that sort of stuff, then you're buying land that has with it the right to irrigate. Um, but other lands don't carry such rights with them. You have to get you know, offsets. You have to go through a variety of different hoops in order to get that. So the Groundwater Management Protection Act um, and what we've done in regulating water sort of dramatically changed the... Um, the scope of the rights that people get when they buy land. I, I think a lot of people overlooked that or maybe didn't quite understand that when, when we adopted those statutes. But that's sort of where we are these days in, insofar as we try to figure out who has the right to pump water. Well, it's people really with historic irrigated acres, um, depending on how your NRD defines it, certified irrigated acres or something along those lines, and those are the folks that have, have the right to use it. Other folks uh, uh, no longer do.
Do you have uh, context of other states who have, might have imposed a tax on uh, irrigation water like what's being proposed in Nebraska? You know, I don't, uh, and that's a, that's an excellent question. I I don't know, you know, what Colorado does uh, or what Kansas does. I mean, to some extent, in Nebraska, we do tax irrigation. Um, we do it in a couple of different ways. Uh, one way is the differential valuations between irrigated land and non-irrigated land. Um, irrigated land, that is that land which carries with it this ability to withdraw water from beneath it and put it on the property, that land is taxed as irrigated land. The comparable sales are selected with regard to irrigation, and we come up with valuations based on that. Uh, even the income numbers, if we run those, uh, we run them for irrigated property within the same geographic area to try to come up with a Evaluation that we can use for the property tax system. Most NRDs, I think all NRDs at this point, have the ability, if they've adopted an integrated management plan, I believe is the is the condition, um, the ability to uh, levy a tax per irrigated acre, uh, and it's it's a uh, it's called an occupation tax. Uh, there was some fighting uh, in the past decade about whether or not that was sort of effectively a property tax, but it's called an occupation tax. And the occupation is the use of water. It's irrigation. And it's $10. It's up to $10 per irrigated acre. So there's a couple of ways, even in Nebraska, that we tax the activity of irrigation in one way or the other. It's sort of baked into the property tax system and the valuations. And there's also an additional layer of occupation tax that a lot of folks pay. That's Anthony Schultz, associate professor at the Nebraska College of Law, talking in his thoughts on LB 1022 and, frankly, who owns the water beneath our feet? Reporting on the Rural Radio Network, I'm Bryce Duskit. Take a look at what we're seeing on the livestock side of the trade. Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Joe Teal joins us with Great Plains Commodities. Let's look at these livestock. Least nice to see some higher number for the cattle today, Joe. Positive day in the, in the cattle. Basically started out mixed and chopped around uh, for a while, then the cutoffs came out at noon, and they were higher, and away we went. We got some pretty good fun buying uh, to support the uh, rally throughout the day. Haven't heard of really any trade taking place, but expectations are running awfully high because of the, the numbers that we traded last week, and uh, uh, we do have a cattle on feed report coming out Friday. And basically what they're looking for is uh, lighter placements than uh, what we saw a year ago. And uh, I think that's also supporting uh, uh, a positive uh, trade during the day today. So a pretty positive day. We had some triple-digit gains uh, in the uh, live cattle and a couple over in the uh, uh, mostly uh, higher triple-digit gains in the uh, uh, feeders. Now, not so much in the hogs. The only one that was able to uh, manage to close higher was the February, and that's discount to the... Uh, Index the index seems to be holding fairly steady, with cash uh, steady, maybe a little bit better today. The rest of them a little bit lower, as they're all premium to the index. So, just kind of an evening update over in the hogs. So, all in all, really you have to look at it from the perspective that it was a fairly positive day all the way around for livestock. Thanks so much, Joel Teal. Join us with Great Plains Commodities. That's a look to the livestock on the Rural Radio Network. 
cuts in 2018? Well, the United States government may have been shut down for there for just a short while, but we're going to be talking beef cuts today on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Clay Patton. Joining me today to talk about new beef cuts in 2018 is National Cattlemen's Beef Association's Bridget Wasser, who's Executive Director of Meat Science for NCBA. Bridget, we thank you for joining us here today. And this comes from a restaurant survey in early tw- late 2017, early 2018. What, what are some of these new cuts that they're starting to develop for beef? Well, they really, in the, in the article, really talked about five different cuts, uh, shoulder tender, sirloin bovette, Culotte, petite sirloin, and tri-tip roast. So really a variety of, of innovative and trending cuts from across the beef carcass. How are these cuts developed as we find more and more things with the beef carcass? Well, it's kind of a combination of things. Uh, one primary way is through checkoff-funded research, beef checkoff-funded research called the Muscle Profiling Study that was actually done in the late 1990s, early 2000s. And that really documented the eating quality, like tenderness of all the different muscles in the beef carcass and helped us discover that we really had some diamond in the rough cuts in sections of the beef carcass like the chuck. So the shoulder tender from this list actually comes from the beef chuck. It's also known as the petite tender. And that cut is a direct result of marketing efforts that stem from that muscle profiling research. And then a cut like the tri-tip roast, that is a cut that's been extremely popular on the West Coast and particularly in California for many years. But just because of, you know, I think the increased availability of information and popularity of things like cooking shows and recipe websites and apps and that type of thing, cuts like a tri-tip that were only popular in certain regions have really started to gain traction and get popularity across the country. And definitely that tri-tip in California, it's one was just back there a few months ago, and it's really starting to show up on quite a few restaurant menus. Now, when it comes to the consumer end of this, consumers are always kind of looking for something different, something new. But why do you think that in 2018, new beef cuts are the hottest thing out there? Well, I think it kind of makes sense that chefs would bring that up, um, you know, because they are really looking for ways on their menu to differentiate from their competitors and kind of looking for that edge. And so there is certain a certain trendiness with beef cuts and a desire to kind of get out on the leading edge of some of the cuts that are available. And then I think it really translates for consumers because, you know, a lot of times um, a new cut, for example, gets its start on a restaurant menu, and if a consumer has that cut at a restaurant and then they see it later in their grocery store, then they have some you know, familiarity with it. They're maybe more willing to pick it up and try to cook it at home and have an idea of what they might do with it. And so, you know, I think consumers are just, they're looking for a variety too. They love to try new things and, and new meat cuts kind of fits in with that. And so they might see it on a menu, they might see it in their grocery store. And, you know, a lot of consumers who are into food um, into cooking or looking for things like new cuts. Folks who want to know more about these new cuts, they want to know recipes that they may work with them and other things, where can folks go to find out more information? Absolutely. They should go to beefitswhatsfordinner.com. Uh, we've got a wealth of information there on the cuts themselves, so they could search for the cut and find out where it comes from in the carcass, how it could be used, and certainly they can find recipes and cooking tips for all of these cuts on beefitswhatsfordinner.com. That's Bridget Wasser, Executive Director of Meat Science for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, talking about new cuts for 2018. That's new beef cuts. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. 
Good afternoon. As we take a look to the grain trade, I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. We've been looking at some lower numbers in the corn and the wheat, higher for the soybeans, but let's get all the happenings from John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel's Ag Marketing in Chicago and the publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. Good afternoon, John. How are you guys doing out there? Not too bad. The sun is shining, so we'll see a little bit of snow melt going on. Good. It'll come my way in a couple of days. It's always nice to, to get a little preview of what you guys got going on. So maybe we'll get a little upside action here with the weather warming up in, in the uh, in the wheat. Didn't really get that much today. Uh, really overall sour day. Uh, kind of head in hand type of day where the markets are just slower and lower uh, early in the morning. And then, you know, 15 minutes before the close, things kind of perked up and traded back to almost unchanged on corn and positive on beans. So we'll go home feeling okay about ourselves, I guess, as bulls. Well, you know, you look at that wheat market, and they've got some dry weather in the Western Plains. I'm surprised it hasn't been factored in as much today. I am, too. I, I really am. I'm given the fact that we've seen the feed grain markets rally. We've seen overseas markets rally. Um, you know, I, it's kind of a baffling thing for me. I, I, I'd like, I look at where we are, 450 for that new crop July contract. It's like where, there's a lot of value there, at least at this time of the year. Um, you know, a year ago, the last two years, we've seen nice price action through February. Um, and so if you really back it up 365 days, the March contract of this day a year ago was right around 423. By the time March went off the board, we were around 460 and actually had made a move up near 480. So I think there's upside here. Uh, you know, I frustrated long uh, would be a good title for me right now. I'm very, very frustrated to be just kind of sitting in a sideways market. Um, but again, I think in the longer run, you know, the dollar weakness we saw today will bleed into the wheat markets eventually, and I think conditions are going to show themselves as being very subpar as we uh, come out of dormancy here, which could be very soon, given the weather. Well, John, we saw the soybeans were the only one with the positive green on the screen today. What are your thoughts on how they traded? Well, again, the meal was kind of down early, and I thought, oh, the party might be over here. We've had quite a run, and then it's powered back and really had a good close, and not quite sure what's going on with the meal market. I know crush margins are as high as they've been in the last couple of years, which is going to incentivize the use of soybeans. Uh, I'm, I'm a little more in favor of buying meal or oil down here, just given how discounted it's been to the rest of the curve. But, um, you know, I love the close. I didn't like the early price action for today. Very slow, low volatility trade. But given that options expire on Friday, I just can't imagine we're going to see some huge break here in the short run. There just isn't seem to be a lot of downside uh, to beans. And I think with the more meal trades higher, the, and, and oats and sorghum to continue to kind of perform here. Those outside feeding grade markets should pull corn and wheat. All right, sounds good. Thanks so much, John Payne, joining us, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing. Find out more at danielsagmarketing.com. This is the Real Radio Network.